0: Okay, uh, let me uh, turn your attention to With Christ. This is going to be our our next uh, study. Uh, before we turn to that, I um, wanted to show you uh, just a little video clip. This, uh, you know, I never know when I come back what car Bob is going to be driving. Uh, and so I saw some... Uh, some car there in the parking lot. I don't know if it was his or not. I think it might have been. But uh, um, I think this was the ad that he must have watched before he bought this 88 Dodge Ares. Uh, so we'll, we'll see this. I'm Tim.
1: I'm John I think it's a the, the Aries drivers changing for the better. <laughs> uh, cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You, wasn't it, Bob? There's a story about it. Okay.
0: All right, with Christ. Uh, you remember that, that as I'm looking at the Christian life uh, and, and giving it some framework, I've come to these four prepositional phrases, each one which is a preposition and then the word Christ. Uh, so it's very much a Christ-centered approach to uh, to the Christian life. In Christ, then, has to do with that which is most fundamental, and that is our salvation, our position in Christ, as we stand in Christ. It's the basis of our identity. It's the basis of our, our status uh, in Christ, our salvation in Christ. Uh, it, it could be even to be considered... The, the essence of Christianity, uh, that we are in Christ. Uh, and it is the work of Christ that has placed us there. Remember we looked at, at three different uh, ranges of meanings of the expression in Christ that Paul often uses. Uh, the, what we call the instrumental meaning, that is that uh, it is Christ's work. Uh, we are redeemed in Christ. You could almost translate it, we are redeemed through Christ. Uh, the ethical idea that our behavior uh, is, should be done in Christ. We rejoice in Christ uh, because of what Christ has done for us. And then the what I call the local meaning, and that was the one I emphasized, was that there is in, uh, in Paul's writings the idea that we are actually joined with Christ. We are united with Christ. Uh, and it is that... Uh, union then, which in some ways is the, the reason how we, are, how we are justified, because we have the righteousness of Christ, because we are united with him, and his righteousness becomes ours. And that's in contrast to being in Adam, uh, which is how others are. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You either have Adam as your head or you have Christ as your head, Uh, And as a result of that, if you have Adam as your head, the result is sin and condemnation and death. If you have Christ as your head, the result is righteousness and justification and life. And in Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays those contrasts out very clearly uh, between being in Adam and in Christ. And we are in Christ. That is the fundamental uh, way that we should understand salvation Uh, and our relationship with God. Now, as we move into the next one, with Christ, uh, we move from something that is more objective to something that is clearly more subjective. It's the devotional life. It is our our life with Christ, in devotion, in intimacy, in getting to know him, in living in his presence. And that's what I would like to talk about uh, this morning. There are Again, uh, several different ways in which this expression, with Christ, is used uh, in the New Testament. Uh, You do have notes on this one, and I'm told that the notes are complete. Again, I apologize for uh, last night, but these are complete. The first one is is, uh, a good summary of what we did last night because uh, oftentimes the expression with Christ describes this very union that we talked about when we talked about the expression in Christ. So let's look at one passage, this passage in Colossians 2, and chapter uh, Colossians 2, and then also uh, 3, and see how this expression is used with Christ. Now, uh, in your minds, you should be thinking about the union that we have with Christ and the expression, all that we talked about last night, with in Christ, because this is what he's talking about. I'm reading from the the RSV here, Uh, Colossians 2.20. If with Christ, okay, there's the expression, and he's talking about the union that we have with him. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? So remember we talked about how because of our union with Christ, we have in a sense, gone through the same events with Christ. We died with Christ, uh, first of all. And that's what uh, that passage says. Then in 3.1, Colossians one, if then you have been, what, raised with Christ, there's the resurrection, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. That is a reality. The old person, the person you once were, is no longer there. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. You died with Christ. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So we are now united with Christ in death, in the resurrection, in the ascension, in the exaltation. We are seated with Christ and it will be in glory, in glorification. Uh, So you can see how Paul here has this idea of of the union with Christ and because of that our, our, our life uh, tracks, uh, as it were, with the events of Christ's life and that we are being conformed uh, to him. And we'll see that when we come to the next topic, which is unlike Christ. So that's one of the uses of uh, the expression with Christ. A second one is what we might call the perspective uh, use. That is something that looks forward. Uh, we will be with Christ so we are with Christ but we will be with Christ and the passage is in Philippians Philippians 123 and uh, let's see I'm gonna again ask for readers and Dan uh, let me start with you yeah uh, second row Philippians 123 Um Okay, remember the situation here? Uh, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. But he says, I desire to be with Christ. So in this sense, he's not with Christ now. He will be with Christ. Uh, That is, if you compare uh, the, the, you might say, intimacy, the presence of Christ, uh, now is almost like an absence compared to the intimacy that we will have. Uh, in the future, when we actually are with him. Uh, That's what Paul is saying. Uh, Jesus, of course, uh, said as much. Remember in John, look for the the next passage. uh, Don, uh, back to you and a passage that I think you might have, uh, at least a chapter that you referred to last night. uh, John chapter 14. And... uh, you remember he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, verse 3, John fourteen three.
2: 3. Uh, Don? Uh, I'm reading here from the new century
0: word. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may be where I am. Okay, remember uh, the idea that uh, Jesus is telling his disciples that that he will come again and take him, take them unto himself, and they will be with him uh, then. the uh, In John 17, you see something similar. In Luke 23, 43, he's talking to the thief on the cross. And he said, today, this day, you will be, what? With me uh, in paradise. Uh, so clearly, we have uh, Christ's teaching on this. And Paul is picking that up and saying, and using this expression, with Christ, to refer to our future Intimacy with our Lord uh, after death. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 would uh, bring out uh, the same situation. 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, David, uh, you have that passage. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 6 through 8. And again, you see the idea that uh, in comparison to what we have now, even though there are senses now, we can say we are with Christ and God is with us, Emmanuel. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In comparison, this is almost like an absence to the, to the future prospect of being with Christ. Uh, so David, uh, verses 6 through 8, please. So here is- Yeah, so now we are away from the Lord, but then we will be at home uh, with the Lord. So these, uh, these verses all then have to do with the use of the expression with Christ in the future, uh, when we will be with him at death. Philippians one twenty three, by the way, is, uh, I love old cemeteries. And, uh, and if you go through those, that was the most common verse that you would find on the old markers. Uh, better, uh, how was it, with, with Christ is better, something like that. Uh, and that was the, that's the prospective use of that expression. I do want to focus on this uh, idea, though, because that is the third use, because in my scheme here of in Christ and with Christ, it is the devotional Aspect of with with Christ that I'm referring to. It is our our personal intimacy now uh, that I'm concerned with. Uh, It's our spiritual growth, it's our our drawing ourselves uh, to Christ uh, through through our spiritual life uh, and and focus on that. It's interesting that we don't see the expression with Christ commonly. Used in this way in the New Testament. Certainly, the idea is there uh, and expressed in a variety of different ways, and we'll look at one of those ways in particular uh, in a few minutes. But the expression with Christ is not found commonly. It is found, for instance, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Here's where uh, Jesus is calling the disciples uh, and the apostles. Uh, It says, and he appointed 12 to be with him. And he sent them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he's calling the apostles then to be with him. There is a measure, I believe, there uh, to speak of, of the personal intimacy and personal knowledge that the apostles have of Christ. They were with him. And for three years, they were with him. It, it probably goes beyond that to speak of the authority that they were given uh, because he talks about uh, preaching and casting out demons as well. But but the personal knowledge that they have would be part of that. And then a very interesting passage, a, a very compelling passage, actually, in Acts. Acts 4.13. And turn to that, please. Uh, this is Paul before the Sanhedrin. You really, to get the impact of this, you really have to go back to chapter three, the beginning of chapter three, uh, the miracle that the apostles did, uh, Peter and John, by healing the lame man there at the gate, remember they said, "Look, we don't have any money, but what we have, we can give you in the name of Christ, rise up and walk." So they do this incredible miracle, and people are amazed at what has happened. Continuing on in verse 11, uh, Peter and John then uh, speak. Uh, Peter addresses the the people, uh, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? As though we did this on our own. Uh, We didn't do this on our own, uh, but it is God who has done this. God is the one who is at work. The the Sanhedrin, of course, course, gets very upset uh, in chapter 4. And they arrest uh, Peter and John, throw them in prison for the night, and the next day uh, call them before the Sanhedrin. And uh, Peter, uh, before the leaders of Israel, uh, stands up and speaks. It says in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, rulers of the people and elders. And he speaks to them uh, forcefully and boldly. Uh, And in verse uh, 12, comes out with a a very uh, compelling statement. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, Very clearly, in your face uh, kind of thing. Verse 13 is the one that we can look at more closely When they saw, that is the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated. And the word there has to do not with completely uneducated, uh, but uneducated in terms of rabbinical school. Uh, These these people were not uh, rabbis. Uh, They hadn't been to the school that the Sanhedrin had been to. Uh, And so they were untrained in that regard. Uh, They were uneducated, common men. The word actually is idiots in uh, the original language, Uh, but simply meaning that they uh, were ordinary. These are common men. They were fishermen. They were fishermen. And here they're standing up before the Sanhedrin with such boldness and power. They wondered, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus. You know, that was the source of their conviction. That was the source of their courage. That was the source of their power. That was the source of their boldness. Uh, That was the source of of the message that they were given. That was the source of their authority. They had been with Jesus. Uh, And it's that, that intimacy, that living in the presence of God, that we all long for. Uh, today as Christians. Don? Uh, if,
2: if, if you look at the first part of Acts, you see the old you Testament know, being uh, quoted. Uh, it wasn't that these people didn't know. The Bible didn't know the word of God. All
0: right. testament Let me just summarize uh, what Don's saying here Uh, in looking at that word uneducated. The point, as I said to begin with, was that uh, they had not been to rabbinical school. Uh, Don's point was that they had been with Christ in his school, as it were, uh, learning from him, not simply in in being physically present with him, but actually hearing from him the 40 days when he would have taught them. Uh, And obviously throughout the three years that he taught them. So it wasn't that they were unaware of the Old Testament. In fact, you see quotations of the Old Testament in Peter's uh, speeches. Uh, So they were very much aware of uh, the Old Testament and of Jesus' teachings. And that fits in, of course, with what we are talking about when we talk about being with Christ, is learning from him. Uh, And that's what our our desire would be. The passage that I want to focus on uh, this morning is uh, actually taken from 1 Timothy so turn to that uh, that passage. First Timothy chapter four, beginning in verse seven. First Timothy chapter four, uh, beginning in verse seven. Now, the expression that you see there, uh, beginning in verse seven b, train yourself in godliness. Uh, godliness, of course, has to do with reverence to God uh, that is also worked out in one's behavior. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of, of uh, similarity here or, or relevance, I should say, to the idea of being like Christ, which is what we're going to be talking about uh, in the next session. And it, it does show you the kind of linkage that we have between these four categories uh, in Christ, with Christ, like Christ, are very much linked together. Uh, they don't stand alone. Uh, and this passage, Train Yourself in Godliness, then uh, is, is in somewhat a, a foreview of our looking at the next category, like Christ. But let me read this passage, uh, 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 7b. Train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is sure and worthy of full uh, acceptance. That is the saying he just gave. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So what's happening here is that uh, Paul obviously is training or is comparing the spiritual life uh, to uh, physical training, to the training of an athlete. He uses images uh, that would, we would be aware of uh, in athletic training or in the games, Uh, Part of the background of this, of course, would be the Olympic Games, uh, which had been begun probably 700 years uh, before uh, Paul and had become very popular, not only in Greece, but then around the world, around the Roman world, uh, where stadia were built and and races were held and uh, competition was held. Uh, So that's part of the the background for this is the popularity of uh, athletics and the games, uh, for, uh, for Paul and the people that he's writing to. The, the word there uh, that's used for train is the word that's related to our word, gymnasium, or gymnastics. Uh, and so it's very clear that when Paul says, train yourself, he's thinking in the terms of how an athlete uh, trains himself. And he's saying that there are, there are similarities between the way that we train as athletes and the way that we train ourselves spiritually. And that's what I want to look at, is these uh, similarities and differences uh, between the two. The King James translates it, exercise uh, thyself into godliness. Uh, again, bringing in that athletic metaphor very clearly. Uh, n i v train yourself spiritually uh, living bible spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit okay so they 've all brought out that meaning of uh, uh of athletic uh, training yeah mm hmm That's right. That is certainly an element. Uh, I'm not sure I would say it revolves around that, but but it certainly is an important part. And that follows up from what Don is saying on on how do we know Christ? uh, How how do we uh, know him better? And it is through the word of God nourished on the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have followed. And I would suppose that just as nourishment would be important for an athlete, it becomes essential then for Christian growth as well. And because Christ is not present with us physically, then it becomes our way of knowing uh, Christ is through the Word. And so that's, that's very important. That's an important insight and one that I wasn't going to pick up on, so it's good you brought it up here. Uh, and that is that one of the key focuses of uh, this spiritual training is being nourished uh, by God's Word. Yeah, critical. Paul often uses the... This athletic imagery to discuss the spiritual life, uh, and you can look at a few other passages. Second Corinthians or Second Timothy, uh, chapter two, verse five. Um, Stan, I think uh, you're up. Second Timothy two five. Yeah, remember that uh, here in chapter 2, Paul talks about uh, being a good soldier of Christ and then a farmer in verse 6 and verse 5 is the other image, that of an athlete. Uh, And here the idea is an athlete has to compete according to the rules. And so we also would. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 7 Chapter 4, verse 7. Remember, this is uh, Paul's sort of swan song uh, here in Second Timothy. And he reflects back on his Christian experience. Uh, Bob? Verse, chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Yeah. It's a great passage uh, to be able to look back and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Uh, two athletic images uh, there in terms of, of Paul's perseverance uh, to the end. He finished the race. You can think of a marathon runner uh, there who, who strives and runs and runs. And even though he's ready to quit, he doesn't. Uh, he finishes the race. And then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, is another place that he uses this imagery. Uh, this is also an important passage and one that we're going to look at uh, a bit later. Uh, Corey, uh, chapter First Corinthians, chapter nine, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. Right. So you can see the imagery, again, of the games. He, he is talking about boxing. He's talking about running. Uh, and in each uh, case, he has a different point uh, about uh, how the spiritual life is similar to athletic training and in competition. Uh, we could take a lot of time on just this one passage, actually. And then uh, Hebrews 12. Uh, Steve, back to you. You used this passage last night. Right. And so remember Steve's comment yesterday about how the encumbrances there would not necessarily be sin. They might be just priorities, uh, how we prioritize our life, uh, as well as sin. To lay those things aside, the picture of a runner who almost has weights on his legs. Uh, You remember, you you would know that, that runners would often do that in training. They would have weights to build up their uh, leg muscles, but in competition, <laughs> you take those off, right? Uh, you, you want to shed weight, uh, shed anything that would encumber you, uh, to drag you back, to hold you back. And that's the picture that uh, the writer of Hebrews is using here in, in the race uh, that we are all in, in the spiritual life, in the Christian life. And we, of course, have a goal, and we are focusing our life and our eyes on that, our spiritual eyes on that goal. So the background then of this passage that we're in, 1 Timothy 4, 7, uh, is this, uh, the games, the athletic games that people would be familiar with, and and the idea that Paul often uses, uh, the imagery of athletic training in comparing that to the spiritual life. And we want to look at some of the points of comparison. The first point of comparison is this. Uh, Spiritual training requires effort and commitment. Spiritual training requires effort and commitment. Uh, I think about every Olympics, and one is coming up here in August. Uh, Summer Olympics coming up in August in Beijing. And uh, uh, what will happen on the TV is that Uh, besides watching the competition, you often learn a little bit about the lives of the athletes and how they're trained. And we will learn there uh, or be reminded there that uh, many athletes start as children and they're trained. They, They spend their entire days, eight hours a day at the gym and uh, the ice skaters are go to the morning, go in the morning at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and do these training, this training, and then they come back in the afternoon. Then they go back at night, and they spend their entire day uh, revolving around the training and practice over and over again. Uh, and the com- incredible commitment that these ha- athletes have over years of training uh, to be the elite, to be part of. Uh, the Olympic Games. And that is the kind of effort and commitment that Paul is talking about, uh, that we need to focus on this. We need to commit ourselves to this. It is not easy. Uh, it is often difficult, and it requires perseverance, but that's what uh, the Christian is called to in the, in the spiritual life uh, to, in order to gain the strength and stamina that uh, we need. It is not something that ha- happens automatically. We wish it did. We wish it would happen instantaneously. Uh, but it is, it is a process of training. Uh, and and we are, it is something that we do our entire lives, not something that we can only do for a short period, not something we we'll only do for a weekend, uh, but something that, that should be part of our routines and part of our effort and part of our commitment uh, as long as we live and every day that we live. The word uh, that gives us that idea is in verse 10, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, when Paul says, "Uh, to this end we toil and we strive. Remember, he's looking at the athlete, and he's saying the athlete toils. Uh, He labors. Uh, The idea here is that he, he works until he is so tired. He is just ready to collapse. That's the idea that uh, we get in here. I, I think of the marathon runner uh, in particular, who who's running and running. Or now I think we'd look at the Ironman Man or triathlete, uh, who who is so weary and tired at the end of his uh, competition. And then the next word also after striving, uh, in verse ten, uh, where am I? Uh, here or after toiling. And striving. Uh, the word there is the word we get our word agony from that. He agonizes. Uh, and you can think here of the athlete whose legs are just burning uh, in, during running a race. Uh, it's that, that hurt, that pain uh, that he has. And Paul said that is part of our spiritual training. Uh, we get tired, uh, we hurt, but we persevere. Uh, we are committed to the goal uh, we are committed to make that effort, not because there 's something good in its, of, of itself of having pain or, or having tiredness and fatigue, but because we see the end in sight uh, and it 's that end that goal uh, for which we strive and for which we work so uh, so certainly, when Paul then is comparing the our spiritual life and spiritual growth to what an athlete does in training, the first point then is that it requires effort and commitment. There is no spiritual growth without effort and commitment. The second point, the second point of comparison is it requires self-discipline. Spiritual training requires self-discipline, just as it does for the athlete. Uh, And we're going to go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Um, Paul says, train yourself. Now, you can have coaches, but ultimately, we are the ones who make the choice. It is our effort. It is our commitment. And it is up to us. Uh, We are the ones who uh, commit ourselves to the discipline necessary. Jay Adams uh, comments on the countercultural force of this kind of self discipline uh, when he says, The word discipline has disappeared from our minds, our mouths, our pulpits, and our culture. We hardly know what discipline means in modern society. And yet, there is no other way to attain godliness. Discipline is the path to godliness. Any comments on that uh that observation? Well, I was gonna note that Paul has really strong words in the, chapter, the same chapter right in like Peter's before about men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe in the truth. Hmm. So it's, not it's not asceticism. That is there's and again, there's nothing inherently good to, to say self-discipline is the end. It's not the end, it's the means. And when it becomes an end in itself, then we fall into the legalism and the 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 tendencies toward asceticism that are bad. Right. Jim? that's a nice way to put it. Thank you. Right. Uh, are you connecting this with discipline in particular? Well, uh, more with the other slide okay. The other slide. Right. Yeah. Right. So it is very much a process, uh, and in some way, it's, it's sort of like a a north star that that sets our direction. And although we aren't going to reach that north star, it it gives us our bearings, and it's something to which we strive for. Is that sort of the idea? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. good money. Good. That's a, a great uh, – what I want to do in a little bit is just to share in small groups uh, some of those same kind of insights and uh, experiences uh, in this whole area that we can learn from one another. So um, that's going to that's come. Uh, any other – Okay.
2: Right. Uh, and when you go back to uh, Romans 6-8, where he's talking about, uh, and the illusion has been made there, it has to do with uh your natural inclinations and being uh subject to, to the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks be to God, you know, it, 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 it's there's a, there's a self part of it, but there's also a submission to the mm-hmm. Spirit of God part of it. Uh, it's it, it, the discipline of bringing your own self under control, but mm-hmm. you can't do that by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to do that, uh, that submission to the
0: Spirit. Yes, so the Spirit of God is very much a part of that, that discipline process. Um, it, Don has mentioned that 1 Corinthians 9 passage, when he, and Paul there says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. A very important idea that uh, this uh, self-discipline is very much part of our spiritual growth. And the question is asked, what does self-control look like? Uh, Leonard has made the idea about, in some cases, it means denial, or making good choices. Uh, what other things? Let me just get a little bit of feedback here, uh, Keith. What, what do, when you think of self-discipline in spiritual life, what other factors are involved in that? Well, I mean, Besides just denying, which is kind of like saying no to something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of more negative. Mm-hmm. You have to affirm other things. Okay. Okay, intensity, focus, intentionality. Intentionality, more purpose. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, rather than simply saying, well, I'm spending a half hour a day reading my Bible, yes. but, but there's nothing that's coming out of it. Uh, perhaps there's a, a, a lack of intentionality or a lack of purpose, a lack of, of intensity uh, in that. And again, you can easily compare that to an athlete and, and how he's designing uh, his training program Uh, to make the most out of the use of his exercise and his time. Um, You know, he's saying, okay, I've got six uh, muscle groups in my body. Uh, I need to work on each one of these in this way and so forth. I have a question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you think there's, if you go to the athlete example, Mm -hmm. I mean, people or anybody who wants to get chained, sometimes we will
1: even pay someone to train. Yes. So right. it's almost like you're looking to someone else to kind of do the discipline for you and then perhaps there's not enough emphasis on self-discipline as if you have to get persons to say, you need to train yourself. Yeah. Not just get a preacher
0: to do it or not just get some some author to do it, but you want to train your, your, yourself. Like, even if there's nobody around, you right. Training yourself. Right. You know what? That's an interesting question that I have thought about. Um, And uh, let me share my conclusion. It may not be what you would come up with, uh, and that is I think it varies a lot just from person to person. Uh, And, again, maybe you look at athletes as an example of that, some that that have incredible self-discipline and just need a word from the coach in terms of technique or something, and then they run on it. Um, I asked my permission, uh, asked permission from my wife to give this example already, so (laughs) – But she and I are very different in our training and our trying to keep physically fit, and that is she has called herself a social exerciser, okay? She finds it very difficult to do it early in the morning by herself. She won't do it, Uh, whereas I do that. You know, I can can go in the gym early in the morning, and uh, no one else is there, and I'm there. but she can't do that. And I wonder if in our spiritual life we have to take, I don't know, maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but maybe we have to take our personalities into consideration to where some people do benefit more from uh, the kind of, of coaching or accountability uh, and um, corporate uh, um, building one another up. All right, and that, that certainly is scriptural in terms of when we look at, at the body itself growing, not simply individual Christians, but the whole body is growing together, and there is an interdependence there. Maybe that's part of it, and in some cases, uh, maybe, depending on the person, that plays a more important role in our self-discipline. Not de- I'm not denying that it is something that we each individually have to do, and no one does it for us. But in terms of our our engagement with other Christians in this process, maybe uh, there are other factors that that uh, help us where other people come in alongside. That might even raise- Excellent, excellent. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that because I think that's right on. Yeah, I, I think sometimes we take too much of a a blanket formula, formulaic approach to spiritual life uh, that that uh, seems to think that everybody is going to be growing in the same way and everybody's going to be exercising discipline in the same way, where in fact uh, we're not taking into into case into account our individual uh personalities and gifts and propensities um that God can also use uh to grow us at that, that point is really important nothing of the apostles written to uh in, in, the, wedding, in the past
2: most, yeah they were
0: written
2: to churches and in its, a,
0: and it's a corporate saying absolutely time, The growth of the body. The growth of the body. Absolutely. And, I mean, Paul's emphasis throughout your here is our
2: ministering to, to one another. That's particularly true in the creation. And yeah. And the yep. And yep.
0: Excellent. In the back.
2: Right.
1: Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I think the, the point, uh, if you look on the slide that says spiritual training is the means to an end, uh, this is a, a third point of comparison. It's the means to an end. That is, that the discipline we have is not discipline for the sake of discipline. Okay. Uh, that there, some days you may feel that way. Uh, Some days you just feel, I've just got to do this. But ultimately, discipline, first of all, in the athletic realm, there is a goal. You know, when you see the Bowflex uh, uh, exercise machine for sale, they're not selling you exercise. They're not selling you a machine. They're selling an ideal. And you are buying into that ideal. And you say, "This is what I want. This is my goal, and this is the means to that goal." Okay. And in the spiritual life, discipline is not the end. It's not. There's nothing spiritual about saying, "I've got 30 minutes of this and 30 minutes of this, and then I do this," uh, unless there is uh, ultimately an end in mind. And and when we look at the passage in First Timothy four. Paul explains that. Uh, Go back to that passage in 1 Timothy 4 when he says bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. There's the end. Uh, And he's saying the value is both an extent and of time. Uh, That is extent, it's not physically, but there's spiritual value. And time for eternity is, as uh, Lenny reminds us, to grab eternity, things that have eternal value, as it holds promise for both the present life and also for the life to come. To this end, we toil and strive. There's a goal in mind because we have our hope set on the living God. Uh, God is the gospel. He is the end. Uh, and, And the discipline we have is for that end and not an end to itself. We can get caught up, I know, because probably all of us have done that, uh, where we forget that, or we, uh, we concentrate so much on the discipline itself that we become bound, uh, we become legalistic, we become ascetic, uh, and we lose our focus on Christ. We lose our focus on the very end, as uh, as Steve said, focusing our eyes on Christ—that is the end, and and the discipline simply is the means to that. And I think I think that sometimes we put ourselves under too much of of uh, too much legalism to to where we uh, we are are actually moving in the opposite direction uh, because our our discipline. Is not uh, motivated uh, by knowing Christ. It becomes, it's motivated by something else. Yes?
2: years old. Um and I admit in, in my walk that some of the time that it, it just becomes aimless. Uh I, I appreciate that encouragement about
0: remembering what the end mm. is what the end is about. Okay, we got three more people or four people and then we'll need to stop because of our time. Dave.
1: Mhm.
0: Yes. Yeah, and recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in us too to transform us. Yeah. Uh yes. Uh, conclude with one final thought. Uh, We we have had some time to share. I thought we would share in groups, but but we've shared more in a plenary way, and that's fine. Uh, But one final thought, and that's the last one on this slide, uh, regarding accountability. Uh, And we briefly mentioned it uh, previously when I was saying that I I think there are different different people and different personalities perhaps uh, would benefit from accountability uh, better. But could I ask, uh, a raise of hands here, uh, if you would like to, how many of you right now uh, are in either an accountability group or you feel you have someone uh, that you are accountable to in terms of your spiritual well-being? Could you raise your hand if you are in that kind of relationship? Okay, a few. Okay. Um, I wonder if this is in an area where the church uh, couldn't uh, do something more intentional to try to form accountability groups. Uh, it's a suggestion. Uh, again, maybe not everybody would benefit from it the same way, but there may be those uh, who would benefit from it and who would appreciate that kind of, of thing. Of course, on a volunteer, voluntary basis, it's, it's, it's your recognition that uh, you're a social exerciser. Uh, in some ways, that you need a coach, you need a mentor, you need uh, a peer uh, to run the race with, uh, and somebody who will ask you uh, questions. And, and let me say there are, are three elements to that. Uh, one is transparency. Uh, you're with somebody that you can be transparent and open with. The second is confidentiality. Uh, those things are confidential that you share uh, with one another, uh, and uh, thirdly, there is an encouragement uh, in uh, with the person that you 're accountable to uh, there's a great power in encouragement uh, in living the Christian life. So um, just a suggestion that that maybe it 's something that uh, CBC could follow up on uh, and and try to provide not structure but opportunity uh, for uh, more accountability uh, between the members in in spiritual growth. I've left with you a, uh, an article by Richard Foster. Now, Richard Foster, you, probably, you may have heard of the book called Celebration of Discipline. It's sort of a classic on spiritual disciplines. And Richard Foster uh, talks about the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. And I, I like that balance uh, between those. He says these are not the only ones, for instance, if you The the slide that I have on this here, uh, he gives four in each category. uh, But then he says, these are not the only disciplines. In fact, there are many others. In fact, he says, I've never seen a complete list of spiritual disciplines. I mean, you can see, obviously, the Lord's Supper is not even on here, which is a corporate uh, discipline. Stewardship, which to me would be an outward discipline, would fit nicely with his other four S's, simplicity, submission, solitude, service, and stewardship. Uh, That's also not on there. Uh, so he acknowledges that they're not all here, and in, his, in the little article here, uh, he does that as well. This is a reprint from a, a Christianity Today article uh, several years ago now, but it's one of the, the nicest, best, concise, uh, persuasive, uh, insightful articles on spiritual disciplines that I've seen. And so uh, please please take time to read it. I think you'd really benefit from it. Uh, at least I did, and and perhaps you will too has a nice little on the the end of the first page work as a sacrament that 's something we 're going to come back to when we talk about for christ we 're going to talk about work uh, because I feel like a theology of work is something that is sadly lacking in the evangelical church today. okay, uh, shall we close in prayer? Would that be appropriate father we uh, do commit ourselves to uh, knowing you. Uh, you are our Creator. You are our Redeemer. Um, you are the One who loves us, who gave Himself for us. Uh, and we desire, Lord, uh, we hunger, we thirst uh, to know you better. Um, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us uh, the the discipline. Uh, the the effort, the intentionality, uh, the purpose in our lives uh, to have that goal f- <clears throat> fulfilled, not completely, but in a way that we would see measurable progress uh, throughout our lives, uh, that we would become those who would be said by others that we have been with God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.